My fantasy would be that there would be more empathy from the top of what human beings are really like, that they, what they really feel like in the day. I think so, someone said to me when we were talking about a piece of content called the empathy gap, that every boss should have to do that undercover boss thing where they have to go and <laughs> hang out in the break room with the newbies and the young people and listen to the things that they complain about and the things that they tolerate. And if you read my LinkedIn feed, which I hope everybody will um, follow, it's filled with stories of people who just keep taking the pain. And so that's the opposite of what we hope for. When we describe the world that we are searching for, we call it focused, agile, sane, and humane. And if you pay attention to that set of four adjectives, you'll notice that there's two pairs. Focused and agile means that work has an order and a cleanliness and an ease and a logic to it, that it's minimalistic, that it makes sense and it has plenty of room for meaning. That's focused and agile. But then sane and humane also means that people get to be people. And if you need to close your eyes or pee or get a power bar, that you, you're not sitting in 11 hours of back-to-back -back Zoom meetings thinking somehow that you're an AI version of yourself and able to just keep going and going and going. So that duality is my dream. And the image I keep for it is if you've ever seen a movie where the hero or heroine goes into slow motion in a very powerful scene and they just look completely in charge and elated and they're moving through the world in slightly slow motion, I think that's what we all need is a little bit of slow motion. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. No matter how you are coming to this show, I hope you leave inspired and with some practical tools to help you lead yourself more effectively and have a higher impact as a leader. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's go make it count. All right. Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 100 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. We made it to this fun milestone and I'm so appreciative of you being on this journey with me for several years to learn and to grow in our life and our leadership. I hope you've learned something from this podcast. I know I have learned so much from getting to engage with you and also to engage with the wonderful guests that come on this podcast. And I'm really excited for this 100th episode. I'm really excited to bring you my conversation with Juliet Funt. I think her message is so important right now for leaders to hear. She is a globally renowned keynote speaker, tough love advisor to the Fortune 500, and she's the founder and CEO of the efficiency training firm, Juliet Funt Group. Juliet is the author of a wonderful book, A Minute to Think, nominated by the Next Big Idea Club, curated by Malcolm Gladwell, Daniel Pink, Susan Cain, and Adam Grant. She's an evangelist for freeing the potential of companies by unburdening their talent from busy work. Doesn't that sound good? And she has brought her powerful concepts to companies like Spotify, National Geographic, Anthem, Vans, Abbott, Costco, Pepsi, Nike, Wells Fargo, Sephora, Cisco, and ESPN, some pretty big names there. And I highly recommend you pick up her book, A Minute to Think. I think it's a central reading for those of us trying to navigate work and leadership in this cultural moment. She helps make sense of how we find ourselves overworked, overburdened, over busy, and she offers us tactical solutions, practical things you can go and do right now in your company or in your organization to improve the way we work and get the most out of life outside of work. So I'm really excited for this interview. I do wanna publicly thank a few groups of people that have supported me and have supported the show as we get to this 100th episode. Mark, first of all, would be my wife, Natalie. She's my biggest cheerleader and my most constant encouragement. 
She's supported me by giving me time and space to do interviews, to edit, to do all the things required to make this show happen. And I just so appreciate her. I want to publicly thank her. I want to thank my parents and family members that listen and friends who support this show and constantly reach out to me and encourage me to keep going. And uh, I just so appreciate that. And all of those little conversations go such a long way. I want to thank all of you who support this show on our Patreon page. I see you. I see your regular contributions to help me stay caffeinated, buy books, cover the cost of the equipment and software and the website, all of that. And I just really believe that those those and little investments are going to pay dividends as Intentional Leader tries to help more and more leaders out there. And I also want to thank all of you who have been guests on this show and the amazing group of volunteers that have supported this show, Wes Cochran, Ryan Brents, Jim Fries, Jaron Alexander, Tim Janes, and Austin Bunch. I can't possibly thank everyone, but I really appreciate you know who you are. Thank you for all of you who support this show consistently. And thank you to all of you finally who rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. That really does help us gain more exposure and reach more leaders. So thank you, and I'm pumped to be on this 100th episode. So without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with the inspiring Juliet Funt. All right, Juliet Funt, welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. This is going to be our 100th episode, and I'm so, so excited to feature you on our 100th episode. Hey, that's such a great milestone. That's exciting. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really no accident that I asked you to, to be on for this because I think your work above all the books that I've read and all the content that I, that I consume in this space of an intentional leader, what does that mean? I think your message is one that we need to hear today more than ever. And so really excited to dive into this. I think for the leaders out there, you're going to learn a lot and uh, really excited about your still new book, uh, A Minute to Think. And I'd love to start. And, and one thing that's obvious to me, Juliet, when I when I read your work and I, and I engage with what you're putting out there, um, it's obvious to me that you care very deeply about not just the working world, but I think about us being just a little bit more human in the way that we do our work and in the way that we even spend our time away from work. And I, I really appreciate that. And I think it's increasingly important. And I'd love to start with, I noticed in your in your book, you dedicated it to your mom. And uh, I always think it's neat to hear how people have been inspired by their parents or those in, in their in their life growing up. So I'm just curious, tell us a little bit about how your mom shaped you the most and maybe how that's had an impact on the way you think about your work. I, I love that you said inspired by because it it makes me think about it in a different context. I think I feel enormously supported by my mom, but she's had a really hard life. And I don't know if inspired would be the first word that pops in. My mom was in uh, in and out of 11 hospitals for mental health when I was a child. Hmm. And we had a really tough time and she had a really tough time. And somehow magically, now it's come all the way around to her just being a sweet little grandma who is doing better than she's ever done and is the most dependable source of unconditional love in my entire life. And we've come a long mm. way, baby. I don't know if you're old enough to remember we've come a long way, baby, but it, <laughs> it really, it's really been a transformation. So she wrote two books herself in the midst of all of those challenges. And I wanted this wow. book to be for her. Wow. 
that's really cool. And it's neat to, uh, and your dad, uh, Alan Font is, is clearly an inspiration for you. And maybe that's not the right word either, but, um, just certainly a, someone who has, has shaped the way, uh, it seems like you think about, about your work. Tell us a little bit about your dad as well. For those of, I mean, there'll be a lot of people listening that don't know who my dad was. If you're over 50, you're already smiling at Candid Camera. And if you're not, maybe you've seen some reruns. But Candid Camera was the first reality television show ever. But it was way before reality TV became so uncivil and um, predatory. It was just sweet folks being caught in the act of being themselves in real situations. And it was the very first show ever that hit a camera where people could be seen and they weren't actors, and we were watching real people do real things. And it birthed the entire genre that followed, although my father would not have liked a lot of the things that came in the latter half of that evolution, I'm sure. You know, as as I mentioned, as we were kind of beginning this, just obviously you have a heart for the working world, or at least it seems to me that that, that you're really trying to call us to something better, something more productive, something even, you know, just better for our, our, our souls almost. If you could paint a picture for the ideal working world, if you could kind of tell us what that would look like for you, what would that, what that, what would that feel like for us just for you to kind of create, we can, we kind of all have a sense and we can, there's a, there's a, part of your book where you kind of walk through, I can't remember the exact page. I think it was maybe page 12 and you walk through a typical day, uh, that I think many of us could relate to of just the, the emails and the busyness and the phone calls and the meetings and the meetings on top of meetings and, you know, just all that, that is a normal day. And then we get to the end of our day and we maybe pull in the garage and we're just like, Oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this again. And we get up the next day and we do the same thing. Uh, many of us. And and you should, we should throw a spotlight on the uniqueness of how bad the last three years has been. Because I've done this work for 22 years, and that portrait you painted of the overloaded person who gets to the end of the day and wonders if they did anything of value amidst all their exhaustion has been around for my whole career, so it's not new. Hmm. But we had this emergency of the pandemic three years ago. Everybody soldiered up, time to be a good trooper, time to work harder, time to sacrifice boundaries. And it was supposed to be a sprint. And then it was a marathon, but the marathon maintained the intensity of the sprint. And we just kept going and going and going. And then there was this little ray of hope with the great resignation. And I thought, oh my gosh, people are going to send the bosses messages messages now. They're going to leave. It's going to create pain points and cost points and things will change. But it didn't. It got absorbed back into the next chapter, which is pre-recession layoffs and freaking mm. out and restraints and cost cutting. And humans the whole time, this whole three years, pandemic to hybrid to everything to recession, they have just kept soldiering on. And I really, I don't even know how they're standing up in the morning anymore. I really don't. And if you are listening and you think, I don't know how I'm standing up in the morning, then you should know that you're not alone. It's just an incredible um, predisposition for human beings to become the shock absorbers of the world of business. And we just keep taking the pain and the businesses keep protecting what they need to protect, which is shareholder value, especially in the larger companies. It's a Mm -hmm. very, very difficult scenario. So you asked me what would be my fantasy. My fantasy would be that there would be more empathy from the top 
of what human beings are really like, that they, what they really feel like in the day. I think so, someone said to me when we were talking about a piece of content called the empathy gap, that every boss should have to do that undercover boss thing where they have to go and <laughs> hang out in the break room with the newbies and the young people and listen to the things that they complain about and the things that they tolerate. And if you read my LinkedIn feed, which I hope everybody will um, follow, it's filled with stories of people who just keep taking the pain. And so that's the opposite of what we hope for. When we describe the world that we are searching for, we call it focused, agile, sane, and humane. And if you pay attention to that set of four adjectives, you'll notice that there's two pairs. Focused and agile means that work has an order and a cleanliness and an ease and a logic to it, that it's minimalistic, that it makes sense, and it has plenty of room for meaning. That's focused and agile. But then sane and humane also means that people get to be people. And if you need to close your eyes or pee or get a power bar, that you, you're you not sitting in 11 hours of back-to-back -back Zoom meetings thinking somehow that you're an AI version of yourself and able to just keep going and going and going. So that duality is my dream. And the image I keep for it is if you've ever seen a movie where the hero or heroine goes into slow motion in a very powerful scene and they just look completely in charge and elated and they're moving through the world in slightly slow motion, I think that's what we all need is a little bit of slow motion. You mentioned that empathy gap, and I, I see that very much as, and even in the military context, that people get promoted, and then they get promoted again. And then, you know, it's often been decades uh, or many years since they've been in the organization that they're leading, doing the things that they now expect their team to do. And so much has changed uh, over that time. So I, I think that's a really interesting insight. And I also just, even that word human, I think we... I often think of myself, um, I think that I'm like this robot that I can just do all of these things and then be a good father and then be a good right. husband and fit it all in somehow and still get the sleep that I need and still eat the food that I need. And I think where I tend to sacrifice the most, Julia, and maybe this is kind of my military background, is sleep. I'll just stop. I just, yeah. I'll just get up earlier. I'll go to bed later. But that I think just acknowledge that that doesn't take into account my limitations, just my physical limitations. Like I can't do that and do that in a sustainable way and be a good person to be around. So I think a lot of what I find, we just don't really want to acknowledge that we have human limitations and especially that's hard to sometimes acknowledge in the work world. And especially I'll tell you, Julia, and I know that you're doing more and more work with the military. That's a really hard thing to acknowledge in the military is I have these limitations because, and, and for good reason, because we want to have this mindset in the military that you give me a mission, I'm going to accomplish it. I mean, winning is our only option often on the big, the big sense of the military, and so that trickles down to the lowest level and we train that. And I think there's good reason to train that. But in the work world, in the thought world that we often work in, it's it's it creates this environment, I think even more so, where we never want to acknowledge our limitations and we never want to say no. And so we end up having this kind of burnout culture, I think, more and more. Um, so 
And there's so many things you said that I want to talk about, the empathy gap and then the the limitations. I think that one of the things, by the way, that's interesting is as I've been getting to know military folks, I'm sure I'll get a couple acronyms wrong as I tell you this story, but we've been talking in corporate with Simon Sinek, who's a new friend and potential partner who wants to do a co- course together on the empathy gap. And he said, of course, we're going to need to talk about how to solve it. And that's where I got real quiet and thought, man, at those big companies, it is really hard to solve it because the shareholder responsibilities of a corporate leader at a fortune company are to make money for the company. And then the human beings underneath them are sometimes the fuel and fodder for that success. And it's just set up that way as this painful duality. But as I was hanging out with the military, I started realizing that you have something that the corporate groups don't have. And I may do a whole presentation someday on this, which is you have a E9, you have an E9 or a CSM, Mm -hmm. if I'm getting this right, which means the senior most person in the enlisted is tasked to be a bit of a liaison, to translate Mm. a little bit up to the folks above and say, this is what people are feeling. And in a way, they also turn around and say, hey, listen, guys, this is why they're doing it. And so I've been actually cooking on a whole workshop called Mm. You Need a CSM, for corporate America <laughs> to teach them that that liaisoning could be a purposeful choice mm-hmm. to put someone in the role where their goal is to be a liaison between the stories from the top and the stories below. So I think that that's been a fascinating tangent for me. But you talked about them as limitations, and I understand that people with a lot of drive don't want to use that word, but they are uh, conditions for success. They, I mean, if you want to use different words that make you feel better, to get enough sleep is a powerful condition for success. For me to follow a circadian rhythm with my body where I have morning light and then basically go to sleep the same time and wake up the same time about every morning and eat about the same times, that circadian rhythm is a condition for my success. And when I derive from it, uh, what I derive from it is powerful. And when I deviate from it, I fail to be my best. So if the entire point of the military is readiness, as it's been schooled to me as an outsider, then we want to put people in conditions where they are the most likely to be smart, capable, effective at their best. And that comes from less waste, less burnout, more sleep, all the things that driven people sometimes feel guilty for. When I say to people about guilt is what I say to people about guilt is you have to say this one thing to yourself over and over and over. I am not infinite, but the work is. Mm. So the work the work is infinite. It's infinite. And if yes. we don't give ourselves the opportunity to recognize that we're in a system where it's not infinite, um, we where we are not infinite, we're going to really be in trouble with our longevity and sustainability of our own energy stores. That's really good. And I, I think what I find, so I just came, Juliet, from a job where I was a, um, I was a, I led an office of military prosecutors for two years in a busy jurisdiction. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it was just the, the subject matter was really hard. So we were dealing with, you know, felony level cases. So there's, you have this, this difficult subject matter and then you have uh, prosecution. So we're, you know, there's felony trials and that's just work that you, you can't mail that in. You've got to be prepared. Right. There's a lot of work. It matters. There's this sense of uh, the severity of what's happening. These are people's lives on the line. And so for two years, um, you know, one of my goals as a leader was to try to help us experience success, but also have people not burn out because I think there's so many people that get to the end of those two years and they've, 
they've tried a lot of cases, they've been relatively successful, uh, mm -hmm. but they are limping to the finish line. And so oh, yeah. I, I like what you said about this sense that the work continues. And, and when all of us left from that same group, the work continued on. There were still plenty of cases to do there. You know, unfortunately, um, in that field, there's always more work to be done. And so I think there's this sense of when we look at, when we define success on these short-term uh, spaces, then I think some of these routines and some of these, these tempos might work for a short term, but they're not going to work over the course of your life. And so I think that's where I feel like you're, you're really helping us see that if we want to be successful, depending on how we define success for the long term as human beings, we need to really think, a, think about work differently. Um, yeah, we might be able to be successful for a quarter and really crush it, but is that team going to continue to be successful for the entire year and year on year? And are they going to have the type of life, maybe even outside of work that keeps them engaged and keeps them um, at a higher level of fulfillment? So I think you're, you're sometimes it's how, what kind of time horizon it seems to me, how we define success, not just a short time period where people kind of limp to whatever finish line that is. I couldn't agree more. And I think that your audience probably would love if we got tactical about some of the ways to, to curb that. So let's talk a little bit about infinite for a moment. The work is not only infinite over the duration of years, the work is infinite every day, that you finish this fantastical things to-do list that feels somehow like you should get it done. You never do. You have constant feeling of failure. You have constant feeling of if only. So we advocate as a just a baby starter step is something called a paper anchor. Just take hmm. some piece yeah. of paper, either a notebook, a pad, or a post-it note stack, and put it to the right of your computer. And just in the morning, put three to five things on that paper that are the most mission critical for the day. And when you do that and you cross them off one at a time, you will get to the end of the day knowing that you did something of value and you will just learn to tune out the vibrating beehive of the rest of your to-do list because it isn't for today. So sanifying your to-do list with the paper anchor also takes you out of the digital realm and there's something that makes our brains really foggy when all of our organization is in the digital realm. If I need to think about something, I put it in physical analog paper. I put it on post-it notes on the wall. It gets it out of the digital realm. In terms of the quantity then that we're looking at in the day, we have to be what we call reductive. And you'll notice that that word has other meanings in the English language, but here we're talking about the mathematical sense of there is too much work and there are too few humans. And whether you're in the military or in corporate, what you'll find is that the grand expectations of those who plan are always going to be larger and wider than human beings can do in an actually a sane and humane way. So there has to be a letting go. Now in the corporate world, and we're, we're learning to translate this into the military world, so I'd be really excited to hear from any military leaders who want to talk about the following subject, the quantification of busy work. We uh, have a globally unique process where we actually quantify and put dollars to busy work. And it isn't even difficult math. It's just being intentional about looking at Number of self-reported meetings that feel wasteful, self-reported email, Slack, Dex, IMs, where people say, this is wasteful, it feels low value, but I can't figure out how to stop doing it. If you take their salary and you figure out what they're worth for an hour, 
and you multiply that by the wasted time that they're spending, you can quantify the impact of that. And it comes all around to one big number that we call the million for 50 number. And that is it's usually about a million dollars of annual talent waste for every 50 people in an organization. Hmm. And that's folks telling us that the work feels wasteful. The secret of the million for 50 number is that it's already been cut in half. It's really 2 million for 50, but we cut it in half just to really, really be conservative about self-reporting data, which has some frailties to it. I am positive that there is a translation for this in the military where there's just a whole bunch of stuff and we keep doing it because we're too busy to become less busy, so we don't question mm -hmm. it. And if you could take some of that out of the system, if you could take five to 10% of that out of the system, people would have both time for recovery and for more meaningful work. Yeah, in your book, um, I, I like this section where you talk about the false gods of busyness. The mm -hmm. you, you talked about insatiability, which is how much, and then conformity, which it's just so common. I love the the examples you gave from uh, from your dad and um, candid camera, and then waste, which is just the things we do. Which you know you you put in your book of just how dumb you know these are just things we do, and we are probably pretty conform to doing them. And we don't maybe even stop to think about whether this is something I should be doing, or maybe we, we do acknowledge it on some level, but we just keep doing it because it's just what we're supposed to do. So can you talk a little bit? I know that's a lot um, to throw at you, but I, I like the way you put that in the book of just those mm -hmm. different categories that lead to this kind of feeling that we all have of just, we're just so busy. You talk to anyone uh, and then you ask them how they're doing and they say, I'm just, you know, I'm just busy, just really busy. Mm -hmm. And so we all kind of feel this busyness, but sometimes we don't fully understand what those drivers are of this, especially in the work world. Yeah, the, those three are at the core. And then we also want to talk about what they lead to. So insatiability is just that we're constantly validated for quantity. The more we do, the more we check off, the more projects, not really about quality as much as just showing off the valor of quantity. Conformity is just a human trait that many, many have studied. Solomon Ash, pioneer of social conformity, basically told us that people will just lemming in the direction that you give them. And he also told us, though, that positive social conformity, even one person going in the opposite direction of the norm can begin to show a trend. And then this waste that we've been talking about. And the waste has stories that we tell ourselves and psychological paradigms beneath it that are important to explore. If we take something really simple like CCs, let's take the massive waste, which I'm guessing translates to the military, I'm sure, CCs and emails. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're big on and I think you and Joe Byerly talked a little bit about this. One of the things we try to do is flatten communication. So you just put everybody on the CC yeah. line, which, you know, could be good. But yes, very, very common to, to throw people on the CC line. So you start breaking it apart. Let's look at the reasons. Instead of just saying to people, CC less, CC less, it's not really helpful. Nobody's doing it. You have to start unpacking the psychology and the motivations. You have to realize people put their boss in the CC line to scare everybody else into doing the thing that's on the thread to elevate it. That's one mm -hmm. reason. People put, you have a rationale that's unique. We want to feel flat. We want to feel inclusive. We're putting everyone in there on purpose. There are people that put six, seven people in a CC line because the day they started working at their job X years ago, they got a couple emails. Everybody had four, five, seven people on the CC line, and they thought, okay, this is how we do things here. 
there's a mindlessness to it. So let me give you a, a, um, a tool, a mental model that people can play with. We use the acronym WAIT, W-A-I-T, stands for whose action is this? 90% of the time, email should be a request for action, not a request for observation. It should not be the doctor operating in the operating room and everyone else standing up in that little glass enclosure peering down. We want people on the thread that have an action. Sometimes the exception to that is a project manager who does actually track everybody's work. But other than that, usually it's action. And if you populate your CC line in the manner that you are habitually accustomed, and then you pause and you insert a little space and you say, whose action is this? You'll probably delete three or four people that you've added because you'll realize they don't actually have an action. There's nothing they need to do on the thread. On the receiving line of a world uh, that is not going to do that really quickly, you probably want to create a folder where everything that you are copied on or BCC'd on goes into one folder automatically and you never see it except for the one time a day that you check that folder. Because anything sent directly to you is going to be much more important and much more time sensitive than anything that you're copied on. And these are this is where you take the theoretical, which we could talk, I could talk about all day long, and you've got to make it tactical for people so that they know what to do, especially younger mm-hmm. folks. What do you think are the, um, so is, is the example of weight, is that kind of a, a tactical approach to trying to get at the, the CC line problem or when you say yes. tactical, are there, okay. No, I would call that a tactical approach. The mistake that I just put, was posting about this, um, the other day that leaders who get it, the evolved leader, the critical thinker who goes, this is mania, the way that we work and people can't handle it anymore. What they begin to do is they just start talking. They say, please take a vacation, take your break when you need it. You shouldn't push so hard, try to cut some things. But talking is not the same as teaching. Teaching Hmm. provides scaffolding. You're giving them mental models, frameworks, shared language, tools. Now, okay, now I know what to do differently as opposed to, yeah, I'm really inspired when my leader gets up and says, I hope you could cut down your to-do list or please take a break when you need it, but that doesn't actually teach me exactly what to do. And that's the gap in between the loving leader who gets it and the people who can actually affect behavioral change in an organization. Yeah. And I know you and you and Joe Byerly talked a little bit about this, but what often will happen in the military is a leader, often a very senior leader will have a meeting. They will say, Hey, we're going to have our, and it can be a routine meeting, but there will be a deck that is part of that meeting that the staff will spend tremendous amounts of time to have that deck, not just have deliver content, but have it deliver really well done slides that are that are fancy. The more and more fancy they get, the more graphics they have on them, the more presumably impressed the boss is going to be. And so if the boss is not careful, they will even, even without intending it, they'll say something like, hey, I wonder about X. So they'll ask a question in the meeting. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're just curious. Maybe that's not an act- actual task that they're giving to the staff. But if the staff doesn't clarify or if the boss doesn't clarify, the staff will then go and spend the entire week prepping a slide deck to answer a question that the boss really may not have even wanted them to devote that much time to. So I think it's kind of going to that empathy gap. It's, it's especially in the military well, and probably true in the private sector. 
Before yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because of that, that's so important what you just talked about. I would like every big shot who's listening, who's a big shot enough <laughs> to have a team that makes decks like that under them to write me at Juliet at JulietFunt.com and tell me, is that what you want? Are you wanting that level mm. of aesthetic showing off? Because I bet you that you and I could do another episode in six months and they will have all written me and say, no, I just want the information. And it, they probably also want teams of people who are good at talking and presentation skills and forming a cogent improvisational argument, all of which decks take away from us. They become this massive crutch of, I have to express an idea. Let me open up PowerPoint and try to express an idea, close the PowerPoint, close the computer, take a pad, sit on the porch, watch a tree and a bird and try to cook <laughs> an original idea that you can then talk about just you standing and talking those are foundational skills for success in every industry that powerpoint will rob from you mm. so in addition to all the wasted time of what you're describing a it's probably not what the leader even needs or wants and b it is eroding the interpersonal skills of the people who are over dependent on powerpoint and do you advocate for a different type of deliverable for internal products versus external? Because I think sometimes, to your point, that leader just probably just maybe just has an, a curiosity, wants an answer, wants some information. They don't need a fancy PowerPoint. So that's kind of an internal uh, deliverable. Uh, and it could just simply be a conversation versus well, maybe external where you're it's. Right. Yeah, where you're presenting to a client or you're you're producing something for uh you know maybe it's for for in the military context maybe you know it could be a a unit briefing the pentagon that would kind of be an external presentation so now we're really we're, we, and we want it to be a good presentation but just for an internal conversation it could be something uh less cumbersome or, or that would require less of the team Oh, absolutely. In fact, you're making me make a note on expanding something that you're bringing up here because I think it's so important. The internal versus external dichotomy in so many areas is a place to save time. When we do internal calls with our team, our team, we almost never have the camera on because we want all the mental bandwidth to go to thinking about the conversation, not to, hey, That's was good. that a cat? Does my hair look good? And all the things that happen. When we have internal emails, they don't have to be perfect or punctuated well or caps where they should be. They're just, we're just shortcutting. But externally, we're fastidious about that. I didn't know you and I share the thief of excellence, so I know that you would yeah. appreciate that. In slide decks, such a massive opportunity to look at, yes, external, big deal. Internal, Maybe we'll give it to them that they have two categories. One would be there are some leaders who are known to judge someone's career trajectory based on how well they do that skill that we're talking about. And if you know that your leader values that highly enough that they may promote you or look at you differently mm -hmm. or give you increased value and trust over time because of decks, then keep going in on that. But if it's just a habit, and they don't care about it, try a conversation. Try writing some notes on an old-fashioned yellow legal pad, standing up in front of people and saying the things that you would have put in a deck and watch the massive time savings with, again, the benefit of increasing your own communication skills. Isn't it incumbent upon the leader to clarify their expectations in this regard? Because a lot of times you have subordinates or, or junior people who are just either like you said they they were onboarded into a process that this was the norm or 
the leader has not clarified that they don't want that. And so why not just, I don't want to be the one that doesn't give you the fancy presentation that it seems like everyone else has given you. That's so true that the leader has a lot of responsibility, but the the employee or the what would you call the not leader in the military? The uh, we often say subordinate. I don't like that word. Yeah, uh, yeah. team that member. Word. Yeah, the junior member, member maybe. The team member is not powerless because they have lips and can ask questions. So the question <laughs> can be. What level of granularity is appropriate in this deck? What level of aesthetics is necessary in this deck? Do we need a deck at all? And those are those are fair, clarifying questions that vastly change the trajectory of the work that follows them and actually will get you points for being smart about the work you're about to do. Yeah, that I appreciate that. And I I think to for some of us it that requires a little bit of courage to say to ask that extra question. But such an important and such a great way to improve the organization too that maybe that we've been doing something that we really don't need to do and it's it we're really losing a lot of efficiency. Um so Juliet, we've only got a few minutes left and I, there's so many things I wanted to cover. I'm trying to think of the best way to <laughs> what to what to cover next. I definitely wanted to cover a little bit of life beyond work, but is there anything else on the topic of work that we haven't talked about or just anything that you think um you know as you as you teach this that that really resonates whether it's from a kind of a theoretical or a tactical perspective? Yes, we should address the fire analogy because that, for those of you who Ooh, haven't yeah. read the book, it's really the most important thing for you to know. Uh, tiny little sidebar, just so that I can close my mind on our last conversation. You don't have to phrase questions in a way that threatens your job. You can ask mm. questions in a way that they're phrased to support the leader in the pursuit of time well spent, dot, 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 so that I can use my time appropriately, may I ask, just just a little nod to, I'm not trying to break the system. I just wanted to say that because I'm always very cautious of people misusing a piece of information and then maybe hurting themselves in the process. But let's get to the fire analogy. Everything that we've talked about, this changing the flavor, cadence, pace, sense of work, relies on one thing. It is the missing element of space in the day. And in the book, we talk about the analogy of building a fire, that you can build a fire with all the right ingredients and the perfect wood and dry pine needles and all the good stuff. But if you don't have space in between the combustibles, your, your spark will never, ever ignite and be drawn into a beautiful flame. And what's interesting, I don't have the ability to show a graphic here, but we have a graphic. We show space at the center and arrows pointing outward. Space is the way that we get to innovation, because our minds have room to cook. Space is the way that we get to employee retention because work is not so miserable and driving. Space is the way that we get to better use of headcount because we have the clarity to reduce waste and on and on and on around the circle that when we can just take a minute, just take a minute or a second or five seconds in between the frenzy, the cadence changes, the smarter brain has time to wake up, our bodies are refueled in the course of the day. And I'd say there are many, many ways to install space, but if we have four minutes left as we do, I would say start with this one. Go to your meeting calendar and look at it, and it probably looks like a paint swatch. Likely it looks like color, 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 maybe double colors with double some of the double book meetings. 
Just ask, just think of this simple rule, never let the colors touch. Hmm. Add white stripes to the calendar. In between each meeting, five, 10, or 15 minute stripes. So you can look back at the meeting before, you can look within and see if you need anything, a break, a power bar, a moment to yourself. You can look forward and prepare appropriately and you begin to oxygenate. It's a simple, easy, visual way that people can start right after they hang up. They can go, uh, after they get off this podcast, they can look at their calendar and they can say, where do I have the authority to add some stripes? If you don't have the authority to add the stripes, then you can start looking for opportunities either where you do or where you can influence. You can slide my book right over to that leader <laughs> who's keeping your calendar so full and say, um, this person has helped a lot of big brands work better and more efficiently, and maybe they will pick it up. But just that, just that begins the process. That's so good. And I am on a mission, Juliet. I am, I just consider me a, a member, an extended member of your team trying to continue to, to an evangelist of your message because it's so good. It's so needed. It's, it's almost as if like we all know to a certain extent that the way we're doing things is a little bit crazy, mm-hmm. but we don't really have a playbook for how to change things. And I love that you are not just giving us a lot of the why behind it, but you're giving us the tactical for how to go about changing. And we talked about it a little bit. And I'll tell you guys, we just barely scratched the surface of what's in this book. So especially if you're a military leader, that's the people I know. I've been in the military now for 15 years and I've seen a lot of what we do and how we operate in our culture. Please go get this book and I'll put links in the show notes of this episode to Juliet's book and to her website, but please go check it out, read it, uh, connect with Juliet, follow her on LinkedIn. And Juliet, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, not just to make us better at work, but better at home as well. Uh, and there's a great section that we didn't get to at the end of the book where she talks about life beyond work. So check it out to the audience members. Juliet, thank you so much. I'll give you like the last 30 seconds if there's anything you want to say, but thank you so much for your time today. No, I'm loving this. I, I've been really moved by how much I've enjoyed this military chapter in our life. And I have to tell you, I didn't see it coming from the external stereotype of a enormously driven <laughs> testosterone-filled organization to embrace a book that is as gentle as this was not something I saw coming. But it's been wonderful. They're using the book in the Army War College and also in a JSAO course for special ops. And so I am endlessly interested if you're out there and you are in a corner of the military that I haven't learned about yet. As you can see, I'm just learning the acronyms from scratch. So come and tell me your stories. Tell me where this content feels important to you. And and you can reach me always, Juliet, at julietfunt.com. Well, you're doing really well with all of our hard acronyms. So keep it up. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Juliet. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Talk soon. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Juliet Font. She's amazing. Please connect with her and follow her on LinkedIn. She puts out some wonderful content on that. Also go to her website and there's links to buy her book in the show notes of this episode. So please, I do recommend, highly recommend, get her book. I think you'll find it to be really useful no matter what kind of organization you're a part of, no matter how wide you lead. Uh, some Key things we talked about, she brought up the empathy gap, really love that concept and the work she's doing with Simon Sinek to try to help bridge that empathy gap. 
She also brought up the idea of a CSM, a command sergeant major. I didn't really respond to that in the interview, and I, I probably should have, but that is a wonderful concept that we have in the military where you have the, the senior enlisted individual, often a, a sergeant major, command sergeant major, who will do to intentionally try to keep tabs on the uh, the morale of the people in the organization. And that's interesting to have a person fully devoted to that. Maybe in the business world, that's maybe an HR individual. But I like that concept and I'm excited to explore that more with her. And her vision for the working world is to have a focused, agile, sane, and humane organization. I love those words. And those are very intentionally selected by Juliet. We also talked about limitations. She called those conditions for success, which I think is a great way to word that because I know a lot of us do not like to acknowledge that we have limitations. And that's something that I've um, come to over time acknowledge. And I, and I don't think that's a weakness. And feel free to correct me on that. I, f I feel like we have to be willing to, as we work hard, as we, as we pursue something that we feel called to do and a strong purpose, I think it's healthy to acknowledge that we do have to set boundaries. We need, we do have conditions for success. We need to get sleep. We need to uh, exercise. There are things that help uh, us be at our best and bring our best to the working world and to the people that we lead. We also talked about some tactical things that one can do. She talked about the paper anchor, listing out your three to five things that you that are mission critical for that day. I love that concept. And just the idea of having a reductive mindset of thinking about in your organization, how can we reduce things that are wasting our people's time? And then in there at the end, she talked about leaders that actually lead change in their organization. The first thing they start to do is they start talking about, hey, what are some things we could cut? What are some things that are wasting our time? What are some things that maybe we're just doing this idea of insatiability that we're being validated for the quantity of things we do and we conform because it's just normal in our working world. That's a way to, for leaders to start talking about it and say, hey, I'm kind of looking at ways that we might can cut to make things more efficient, to really focus on the things that matter the most. And then the next step would be leaders start to teach these things. And we talked at the end also about internal and external deliverables. But if you want to teach as a leader in this area, I highly recommend you grab her book that will help bring that those concepts to life. It'll give you a ton of material to, uh, to start thinking about in your organization. Um, if you have any follow-up questions, and, and Juliet mentioned this on the interview, feel free to email her at juliet at julietfunt.com. And uh, she asked for any leaders in terms of what, when you have these big meetings and these presentations for your staff, is that what you want? That was kind of the question that she posed to the leaders out there. So feel free to email her uh, about that question or anything else related to her work. And once again, thank you for being with me on this journey. It's, it's so fun. I'm excited to keep going. And, and it's awesome to celebrate with you this 100th episode. I hope you go and have a wonderful day and make a difference in the people around you and your sphere of influence. Remember that life is short, so let's go make it count. <laughs>